Our children are dismissed right now to Children's Church. As they leave, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Psalm and chapter 25. How many of you have chapter 25, verse 1 through 5 memorized yet? Okay. It's been an effective month. I can see that. No, I didn't ask you to memorize. I understand that. How many of you have it marked in your Bible at least? A piece of paper in there or something? Okay, good. All right, let's read verses 1 through 5 again this morning. Here's what is written for us in the Word of God. It says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all day long, or wait all the day. So, we're going to, next Sunday, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together, and we're going to finish out this series of sermon from this passage. But for this morning, I want you to look with me at the passage, and we sang, sang a lot of our songs today that tie in with what I want to share with you today. He says, For you are the God of my salvation. Church, do you realize how big that statement is? For you are the God of my salvation. You are the one that has given me salvation. The Bible says elsewhere, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We have a problem with that. Maybe not so much when we gather in the church, although sometimes I think when I listen to how we express our praise to God when it comes to just declaring our salvation, we're a little bit timid in doing that. I think you're going to get a little bit louder in heaven. I think you're going to be a little bit more excited in heaven. I think you're going to see Jesus and, and uh, at, at least for some of us that, that are a little bit more stoic than others, for a moment maybe that, that stoic nature will just fall away, just for a moment. Do you realize how great it is to consider that He is the God of our salvation? You know who He is? You know who He is? He is the God who spoke everything into existence. He's a God who needs no one or nothing else to be completely who He is. Yet, He is the God of our salvation. What do you have to offer Him? What do you have to offer Him? Why did He choose you? Why did He save you? Why does He even care about who you are? Who are you that God, the God who created everything, cares one little thing about? Who are you? You know, sometimes I think we've gotten in a place where we say, Yeah, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, God, you know, if there's anybody else in this room that you ought to be saving, it certainly ought to be me. I mean, compared to everybody else in this room, I'm doing okay. But in reality, when we consider who we are, who are we that God would consider us at all? Much less that God would take on the flesh of His own creation, come to this earth, suffer and die upon a cross, be in the tomb three days later and rise from the dead... For us. Jesus didn't rise for Himself. Jesus didn't die for Himself. Jesus didn't suffer for His own sins. He is the God of our salvation. And that ought to move us, church. That ought to move us to think about the One who created everything cares about you. And He cares about me. I deserve. And I'm going to tell you the, the, the flat out. I deserve because the kind of guy that I am... I deserve eternal separation from God. I deserve damnation. There's nothing in me or ever was found in me that merits salvation. 
And yet I oftentimes, like many Christians, live as if God owes me something. As if God actually owes me salvation. Because I'm a good guy, relatively speaking. It's an incredible thing what we've done to, to the Christian faith. And let's be honest, because we've done this to our Christian faith, our Christian faith does not work. It doesn't work. Well, it works for a season, or it works for, for maybe when everything's going good. But when, when life crushes in on us, when, when we don't have the answers for why we face what we have to face, it doesn't seem to work. Why is it so easy for so many professing Christians to walk away from God? To walk away from the church? To walk away from a truth that they say that they have embraced sometime in their life? Except that we have not really come to a place where we learn the essence of, of, uh, and the measure of, of this statement that the psalmist makes. You are the God of my salvation. We can so easily and so, dare I say, without emotion, sing songs like, Our God Saves, and, and What a Savior, and, and, and carry that on to some of the old classics of When I Survey the Wondrous Cross on which the Prince of Glory died, and we just sort of do it. We sing about the old rugged cross as if it's a, just, a, just an event in history. We've lost the sense of what it means to make to, to declare from the depths of our the depths of our spirit that God is the God of our salvation. Church, that means everything. And if that's not true, then there's not anything that means anything. You realize that God loves you? Does that stir you? Where are you at today spiritually? Where are you at today in your walk? What's your thought life like? What are you, what are you looking at on TV or the Internet? What are you listening to? What, are you, what occupies who you are in your life? How are you treating your neighbor? How are you treating your spouse? How are you treating your kids? How are you treating your parents? We start confessing many of these things that might bother us to consider where we're at. But what I want you to get, I don't say that to bring guilt upon you. What I say that to you is that do you realize that no matter where you're at this morning, God loves you. God loves you. And He has demonstrated that love in such an enormous way that you and I would have to choose to cast aside it, to ignore it, because it's so blatantly obvious that God loves us. Paul writes in the book of Romans that God demonstrated that love for us that while we were yet sinners, that's when Christ died for us. That's the love of God demonstrated. When we say, He is the God of my salvation, we're speaking about a God who has willingly demonstrated his, the enormity of His love to us and that He would send His Son to die for our sins. It's not a small thing to declare that He is the God of our salvation. We ought not to treat it as such a light thing. I love that song that Luann sang. Because that is, for us, that is the demonstration to the world that we understand who we are and what we've been made in Christ Jesus. That the world sees Jesus in us. 
And it is a great question to ask. Does the world or does the world see Jesus in me? And wherever you find yourself this week, whatever you find yourself doing, that's a question that you and I need to be asking. Do they see Jesus in me today? Do they see the grace and the mercy and the love of God in my life? Do they see it demonstrated? And is that so because I've come to the place where I realize that God is the God of my salvation? And that's a huge thing that God has done for me. As you look at this passage and we come down here to the, to the middle of verse, verse 5, which we're looking at today, you'll notice that the psalmist says, For you are. He uses that word for to speak about a, the statement of faith that he's about ready to make that is contingent upon or maybe the reason why he has done what he has done before. Now, let me tie this together. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at this passage. And he began by saying, Show me your way, O Lord. Show me what's important to you. Show me your way, O Lord. Not man's way, but your way. He goes on to say, Lord, teach me your path. Not only show me your way, but show me how you want me to walk in your way. And from there he talked, we talked about this this uh, this last week, that we need to pray, God, guide me in your truth. God doesn't just show us his way, he doesn't just show us the path or direct us on the path, but he is the guide himself who takes us down that path as we walk in the way of the Lord. And the psalmist says, I pray these things, why? Why? Because, that word for, same translation, because, because you are the God of my salvation. Go back to verse 1. What's he say there? He says, I pour out my spirit or I pour out my soul to you, O Lord. And I pour out my soul to you requesting that you show me your ways, that you teach me your path, that you guide me. Why? Because you are the God of my salvation. You are the God of my salvation. Now look, tie this all together. And I did this in the, in the outline for you. Verse 1. I lift up... Now put yourself in this. Not just the psalmist. Put yourself in it. I lift up my soul to you, O God, for you are the God of my salvation. Who else are you going to lift your soul up to? Why else would you lift your soul up to anybody else? I lift up my soul. I pour out my soul to you, God, for you are the God of my salvation. We go on. Verse 4. I desire your way. Why? Because you are the God of my salvation. We read on. I walk in your path. Why? Because you are the God of my salvation. We read on. I follow your guidance. Why? Well, the why is still the same. For you are the God of my salvation. You understand what the psalmist is saying there? You understand what ought to be, what ought to be pouring out of our hearts to, to God? These requests that we make to our Heavenly Father. Why do we make them to Him? Why do they make, we make them to Him? Some would say, because He is a Creator. Well, let me ask you this. Is He not the Creator of everything that is? Okay, you can nod with me, okay? Yes, He is a Creator of everything that is. Okay? So that means... That he's not only the creator of those who are saved, 
But he's also the creator of those who are not saved. Right? You already said he's the creator of everything that is. Alright? Those who are not saved do not pour out their heart to God. Why? Because he's not the creator? No, he is the creator. Why don't they pour? Why, why, why don't they have that, that inkling? Why don't they have that desire? Why don't they have that within them to pour out their soul to God? Why? Because though he may be their creator, he is not their savior. Someone said they don't know him. Now, that's easy for us. That's easy for us to get. Those lost people, they don't know any better, so, you know, we don't expect them anything from them. But our problem this morning is not with lost people, church. Our problem is what we see within us. Because so, the next question is this. If the psalmist says, I pour out my heart to you, I seek your ways, I desire your path, I follow your guidance, because you are the God of my salvation, let me ask you this. Why don't most Christians, I'm going to say most Christians, do what the psalmist says? Is he not the God of, of salvation of every born-again Christian? Is he not? So why aren't Christians pouring out their spirit and their, and their souls to God, who is their Savior? Why aren't we desiring the way of God, who is our Savior? Why aren't we walking the path that God has called us to, because He is our Savior? And why aren't we following His guidance, because He's our Savior? Why aren't we? He is our Savior, Right? That's indisputable. He is the God of our salvation. If you're saved, God is your Savior. Because you cannot be saved apart from knowing God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Everybody got that? There's only one way to salvation, right? My question remains. My question remains. Everyone in here who's a born-again Christian would profess to to the truth that He is the God of our salvation. Now the question remains, why don't we pour out our hearts and our spirit to Him? Why don't we desire His ways? Why don't we walk in His path? Why don't we follow His guidance? Why don't we, church, if He is the God of our salvation? And He is the God of our salvation. Should I sit down and wait for an answer? Should I? See, you say, well, tell us the answer, Pastor. No, I want you to come up with the answer. You know. I know. Worldliness, flesh, pride, selfishness. Come on. Wrong focus. What's the problem here? Do I not... I would never say I believe this. But do I not demonstrate this? Listen to me. This 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 may be too much for somebody, but... Some of you, you'll, you may miss it all together and, and not even care. But I hope you get that. Do I not live most of my Christian life as if somehow I am my own Savior? Somehow I'm my own Savior. We wouldn't say that because we're too humble to say that. Okay? But somehow we've got it in our mind that because of the kind of person I am, either I deserve salvation or somehow I've helped God with my salvation. Or somehow, again, going back to deserve that God owes this to me. Or even this, 
God, you're lucky that I've come along. Somehow, deep within our psyche or spirit, whatever term you want to use, there's something within us because it, it shows in the way that we live our lives. Something within us is coming out saying, I'm really the originator of my own salvation. Worthy am I to be praised for the kind of guy that I am. When it could set, if, it, if it could set down in our spirit that he, that he and He alone is the God of our salvation, it would transform who we are. It's not just a doctrinal statement or truth that we make. It's not just a statement that we make so we can prove the other religious groups wrong. Oh, you got this for a Savior. you got this for a Savior. we got God as our Savior. Again, moving to a place of pride instead of a place of brokenness to, to, to be a people who live in awe of the fact that, that God who created everything is our Savior. And, and I, I believe this is what we do. We would say, that would be our te- we don't have any problem with making that testimony coming off of our lips. But what is the proof, what is the proof that this truth is really set in on who I am from, from the depths of my being? Is it not what the, what the psalmist is talking about here? Is it not a, a person who comes to that realization that God is my Savior, what a glorious God that He is, and I'm going to pour out my heart to Him because He's my Savior. And I'm going to desire His ways because He's my Savior. And I'm going to walk in His path because He's my Savior. And I'm going to follow His guidance because... He is my Savior. The psalmist wants us not to realize, just realize these truths, but he says, I realize these truths. I pour out my heart to God. I desire His ways. I want to walk in His path. I want to follow His guide because He is God my Savior. And there's no pride in that statement. All there is is someone who's been broken by their own sin. And someone who is in complete awe that the God of this universe would take time or even care to save us. And we treat it sometimes as such a common thing. How enormous is it that God has saved you? Paul looks at salvation this way. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I think there's something to this. Of course, it's Scripture. But I think there's something to this even in our approach of what I'm talking about today. Paul says this. I now see through a glass dimly. But the day is going to come when I will see everything in perfect clarity. Now, I paraphrase that, but that's exactly what he's saying there. We do have a tendency to see, and we do see things through that little bit distorted, if you will why we need the Holy Spirit to show us the ways of God because we see things a little bit distorted. And a day is going to come when that distortion is going to be completely removed and he says, and then I will see things just as they are and I will know as I'm known. Certainly he's talking about our glorification when we get to enter into heaven. But what I worry about or am concerned about in the church is we're not even seeing things through a glass dimly. We don't even see things, it seems, with a taste of glory. Because how could we see even, even 
see a glorious God with just a taste of glory and then act like it doesn't make any difference in our life. You are the God of my salvation. You understand what that means from your perspective and my perspective? Do you understand without Him you have no hope? No hope. You understand that you are a sinner. Say, no, Pastor, I'm not a sinner. I was a sinner. Liar. You are a sinner. I guarantee you, you sinned this week. You might want to stand and say they didn't sin this week. We won't throw stones at you. You and I are sinners. Okay? Well, what sets us apart? What's, what's our hope? There is no hope for a sinner except for a Savior. What we deserve because of our sin is eternal hell. Eternal separation from God. But God in His love and His mercy sent His Son to die for us, to die for our sin, to face the punishment for our sin. And the Bible says, on the cross He bore our sin. He bore our shame. And then He bore our punishment for our sin so that we would no longer stand condemned. So, since the truth is we still sin and that we are sinners, but we are not condemned sinners anymore. We are forgiven or we are redeemed sinners. And that doesn't give an excuse to sin all the more. What it ought, ought, ought to do is that, that grace of God, of God being poured out to us ought to drive us more to Christ so that we walk in, in holiness. But we need to realize our position. We have no position with God except through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's an awesome thing that what God has done. It's an awesome truth to consider that God is the God of our salvation. What does it mean that God is our Savior? Let me share several verses with you. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 7. And I want to read for you verses 24 through 28. I wasn't going to just pick one verse out of each one of these, but you've got to keep them together. And I want you to see what it says concerning what does, what does it mean that God is your Savior? The writer of Hebrews writes this down, verse 24, starting with verse 24. He said, But he, because he continues forever as an unchangeable priesthood, therefore he also, able to save to what? He is able to save to what? The uttermost, those who come to God through Him. See, He always lives to make intercessions for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, then for the people's? For this He... Excuse me. For this he did once and for all when he offered it up himself. For the law appoints as a high priest men who have weaknesses. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. What does this mean that God is the God of our Savior? The writer of Hebrews says it means that he saves to the uttermost. In the Old Testament time, they had a shadow of what salvation meant. They couldn't, they couldn't receive it in the fullness that you and I can receive it in. 
Doesn't mean that Old Testament saints were not saved. Certainly they were saved. But the fullness and the essence of what that meant, they couldn't quite grasp. Yet we have this same psalmist, an Old Testament saint, who, who declares that God is the God of his salvation. In Christ we have the fullness of God's plan for salvation revealed to us. And that fullness is that God saves us to the uttermost. You know what the uttermost means? It means that there's nothing beyond that. He saves us eternally. Now, I don't want you to get eternally right now tied up with time. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Remember, eternity speaks of, uh, of limit, uh, limitlessness of time, but also space. He saves us to the uttermost. If I can put it this way, He saves me so completely that there's not one molecule of my being that is not saved by Him. He saves me so completely that there's not one sin that I've ever committed that's not covered by His salvation. He saves me so completely that there's not one thing that I've ever thought, that I've ever said, that I've ever done that is not covered by His blood. He saves me to the uttermost. Listen, He has left nothing undone. He has sacrificed Himself once and for all. Meaning that there needs to be no further sacrifice that needs to be offered. Because what He has done has saved us completely. Isn't it wonderful to consider that God, through His Son Jesus Christ, has saved you completely, eternally. So, it's not Jesus plus anything else. It's just Jesus. Well, Pastor, we've got to be baptized to be saved. No, you don't. Pastor, we've got to be faithful church members to be saved. No, you don't. You say, Pastor, isn't it important to be baptized? Yes, but not for salvation. Pastor, isn't it important to be uh, good church people, good church members? Yes, it is, but not for salvation. He has saved you in what He has done completely, totally. Nothing else needs to be added. What does it mean that God is our, our Savior? Take your Bibles and turn over to Romans chapter 8. Now, as we talked about saving you to the uttermost, speaking of covering all your sins, covering everything, now He's going to speak about that eternally. Now He's going to speak about for time and eternity He has saved you. Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 31. Wonderful passage of Scripture. Here's what it says. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, who, is, who also makes intercession for us. Second time recorded for us, who makes intercession for us. You know, you know what he means by that? You know who's speaking on your behalf in heaven? You ever, you ever like to get recommendations from certain people? Ever got a recommendation from somebody? Who do you try to get recommendations from? People, well, of course people on your side. Yeah, that'll, that'll help. But of those people on your side, don't you try to get recommendation from somebody who has a good reputation? I mean, I'm sure you're not going to go into business and say, I got a letter of recommendation here from Bertie Madoff right now. 
you're probably not going to go with that recommendation, right? Or I'm going to open a church and I've got, I've got my letter of recommendation here from Jim Jones. You know, you're not going to do it. You try to get a letter of recommendation from someone who has a great reputation, don't you? Of course you do. What's a letter of reputation? A, a, a recommendation. It is someone who is speaking on your behalf. Guess who speaks on your behalf? Your great high priest who ever lives to make intercession. Whoever lives to speak on your... Isn't that wonderful? All right, let's read on. He said, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? What a great question. Who shall separate us from the love of God... Uh, from, from the love of, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now I'll give this long list. Shall tribulation... By the way, this is a rhetorical question. Shall tribulation... What's the answer? No. Shall distress, persecution... Famine, nakedness, peril, the sword, the answer to all those are, or is, no. Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Now look at verse 37, what a wonderful, yet, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, I hope you're persuaded about this church, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Can you think of anything you left out of that list? Anything in heaven above, here on the earth, or below the earth that can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. What does it mean that God is the God of my salvation? It means that He has saved me to the uttermost. It not only does it mean that, but it means that He has saved me eternally. Oh no, you're one of those Baptist preachers that believe in once saved, always saved. That's what you believe in, isn't it, Pastor? No, what I believe is, is not some little bumper sticker Christian mentality that says I can live any way I want and, and say once saved. What I believe in it is that if you are genuinely saved, if you are biblically saved, you are eternally saved. And your salvation is in the hands of the one who's bigger than any. And nobody shall be able to take you out of his hand. What shall separate you, separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Nothing. Nothing can separate us from that. What does it mean that God is the God of my salvation? He saves me completely. He saves me eternally. And one other passage I'd like for you to look at with me. Today. Turn to Acts. Chapter 4. In verse 8 through 12. Here's what he said. So then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for any good deed done to a helpless man, by what means has he been made well? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of who? What does it say? By the name of who? Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Him this man stands here before you whole. How does He save you? To the uttermost. You've been made whole in Christ Jesus. Verse 11. This is the stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. 
Verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be what? By which we must be saved. What does it mean that God is your Savior? It means the one who created everything, He alone can give you salvation. It means that He is your salvation. It means that He has not directed you down another path, another ism, another philosophy, another way of life. Not down another path of a, of a, of a different religion. He, has, he who has created you now calls you His children and He has offered you Himself. He saves you to the uttermost. He saves you eternally. He Himself has become your salvation. Now, here's why that's so, so important, that what we believe about Jesus. If Jesus sinned, He could not be your Savior. Or, if Jesus sinned and He claims to be your Savior, then your salvation is worthless. If Jesus is any less than, than what the Bible says that He is, then the salvation He offers you is worthless. If He's not the Son of God, if He's not virgin born, if He did not live a sinless life, if He did not die for your sin, if He did not rise from the dead, then your salvation is meaningless. And what Peter's trying to say here to the rulers, the, the religious rulers and the political rulers, he says, listen, this Jesus whom you crucified, He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. You killed Him. You buried Him. And His Father raised Him from the dead. And it's by that power and through Him that you see this man here standing whole before you. And we declare to the world, we are sinners. We were dead in our sin. We had no hope. We were broken. We were, we were torn asunder, if you will. And it's by the name of Jesus that we stand before you whole and complete. Not in anything that we've done. But in the name of Jesus, who is the God of our salvation. That's what it means when we declare Him to be the God of our salvation. Now stay with me just for a moment longer and I'm going to close this out. Because I want us to see this. Here's where it begins to take on meaning in this world. You see, all of us can say, I have eternal life. And there's far too many Christians who said, I received Jesus at a certain time in my life. I'm waiting to get to heaven. Listen, I can't wait to get to heaven either. I'm looking forward to heaven. It's going to be a good place to be, by the way. Especially when you think of the alternative. Okay? But God never intended for us just to wait till we get to heaven. To declare the fullness of the reality of who He is in our life. He is, the psalmist says, the God of my salvation. Not my future salvation, my salvation right now. He is the God of my salvation. And we have a tendency to have little problem with believing He's the God of my eternal salvation. But what about the God of your salvation right now? What the, should that look like? What does that mean? And if I really believe that He is the God of my eternity, how many of you here understand that you're not what you once were physically? How many of you understand that your body's wearing out? How many of you understand that your body could have diseases in it? And some way or another, should the Lord tarry, this body is going to get old, decrepit. Now, I'm not talking about some of you in past tense, okay? I'm just saying old, decrepit, 
disease-ridden. And as Paul says, this old tent's going to have to be cast aside someday. Okay? We have no problem with that in this sense of believing in eternity. But what does it mean that God is the God of my salvation now? If I can trust Him for eternity, why can't I trust Him for today? Why do I think some, for some reason I have to wait to eternity to experience what God has for me? Why? Are you waiting till heaven to sing? Are you waiting to heaven to bow a knee? Are you waiting to heaven to praise Him? Are you waiting till heaven to declare these eternal truths that we've been talking about here in, in, in the Scripture? The huge question for the church today, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? I know heaven awaits us. And I know in heaven, I read the book, it says that in everything, everything will be made right in heaven. But I also read the book that in Christ, today, today, I've been saved to the uttermost. In Christ, today, I have eternal life. In Christ, today, Jesus is my Savior. And that's an eternal truth that I stand upon, but it ought to be a daily reality of my existence. So I want you to get this. God is the God of my salvation. And because He is like the psalmist, God is the God of my salvation. Today, Lord, I pour out my soul to You. I don't wait to get to heaven to pour out my soul to You. Today. I ask you again, church, when's the last time you poured out your soul to God? Or are we so caught up in now I lay me down to sleep type prayers in the church that we don't know what it means to pour out our soul to God? He's my Savior today, so I pour out my soul to Him. He's my Savior today, so along with the psalmist, along with the psalmist, I say, Lord, show me Your way. You're my Savior today, so Your way is the only way. And I desire no other way than the way of God. Why? Because, God, You are the God of my salvation. Not only for eternity, but right now. You are the God of my salvation, so I pray, God, direct me on Your path or show me Your path. Put me on Your path. How would You have me walk in Your way? How would You have me accomplish the things that You've called me to accomplish in Your way? And I pray that and I desire that because you are the God of my salvation. And finally, you are the God of my salvation. So God, I don't want anybody else leading me but you. I need you to guide every step. Holy Spirit, be my guide. Because I don't want to take a step apart from you. I may understand your way. I may even know the path that you would have me on. But on that path, you didn't ask me to go on that path alone. I need you to guide every step that I take. And I need that because you are the God of my salvation. How much do you need God today, church? So I remember when, I, and I would say to you, I remember when I was 16 years old. I came to a place where, where I realized how desperately I needed God. And I humbled myself before Him and I bowed myself before Him and I said, God, I'm a sinner and I desperately need you. Would you come into my heart? And He did. He saved me at age 16. 
And so often what we've done is we've left it there. And I confess to you many times, I've left that there. I need the God of my, I needed the, I need the God of my salvation not only when I was 16, but every day since. And every day that He's given me until He calls me home. And I'll need Him for eternity. The psalmist says, I pour out myself to you and I ask all these things of you because I realize something. Some enormous eternal truth. You are the God of my salvation. Where else can I go? What else could I actually desire? What about a church? Where else are you going to go? What else do you really desire in this world? He is the God of your salvation. And if He's not yet, He can be. He wants to be the God of your salvation today. I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me this morning. And I offer this invitation to anybody who's here today. If you have never come to the place where you have asked God through His Son, Jesus Christ, to forgive you of your sin, to come into your heart, to be your Lord and Savior. And yet you're here today and you feel like that's what you need to do. There's something pulling at your heart. There's something leading you in that direction. I'm going to tell you, that is not a something, that's a someone. That's the Holy Spirit of God. And I'm asking you just to retrust Him enough and respond to Him. And come to the only God who can give you salvation. The only God who can forgive you. The only God who can save you to the uttermost. The only God who can save you eternally. And put your faith in the, in the only name by which you could be saved. We offer you that opportunity. Not to put you on the spot, but simply because all of us have to come to that place. And we would hope that this would be the safest place for you to make that decision. Around people who will love you and encourage you and pray with you. The reality is, I look around this building here today, and most of you have already done that. Most of you have made that profession of faith in Christ. So I ask you, what's it mean to you, my brother and sister in Christ, that God is the God of your salvation? Is it your ticket to heaven? You waiting for something? Or does it change who you are from the, from the very depths of your being and flows from there, outside of you, to declare, to pour out yourself to God. Does that reality touch every part of your life? Do you declare from the depths of your spirit, God, you are the God of my salvation. Therefore, all I want is you. All I desire is you. May God's Spirit help us get a grasp upon the reality of this enormous eternal truth that has been shared here today. And may we be willing to be moved by the Holy Spirit to be the people that God has called us to be. Maybe the Spirit's moving in your life and you want to pray with somebody. There can be some gentleman here at the front and be glad to pray with you. Maybe you just want to Go take someone's hand, a brother or sister in Christ that, that you trust and say, you know what, I need prayer in this area. I, would you come pray with me? It may just be you just want to stay right there where you're at. That's fine too. The point is not whether you come forward or not. The point is, is your heart open 
to the Spirit of God this morning. So if you're here today and you're ready to receive Jesus as your Savior, you feel led to do that, we'll be here to help you with that. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you need someone to pray with you, and, and you want to you want to live that life that that just demonstrates the reality that you walk as a child of God who is awestruck by the truth that God is the God of your salvation. And you want someone to pray with you about that, be glad to do that. Father, I thank you for our time here this morning. I thank you for the opportunity of this hour. And before we leave this building, Father, may we be a people who, again, not just voice truths that we know. And Lord, forgive us if we've thought in any way that our salvation was due to anything that we've done or who we are. Forgive us if we've ever put forth any, any thought or any testimony in the way we live our life that we deserve Your grace and Your mercy. And Father, let Your Spirit move freely among Your people here today and that the awesome truth that You are the God of our salvation, may, it, may that truth move through our hearts and our spirits. And because it does, let us respond to You because you are do everything from us, Lord. You are do everything that we could offer to you right now and much more. Lord, I don't have enough to offer you. Lord, change our hearts so that what flows from us will be the things that originate with the salvation we've received through you and not just things that we have chosen to offer from you. Change our hearts change who we are, and I pray this in Jesus' name.